Hello, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America, featuring today's top directors sharing behind-the-scenes stories of their latest films and insights into the craft of directing. Please take a second to subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. This episode takes us behind the scenes of director Robert Eggers' new psychological thriller, The Lighthouse. Set in 1890s New England, the film tells the hallucinatory story of a grizzled veteran seaman and a novice lighthouse keeper who are thrown together on a harsh assignment. As isolation and alcohol begin to eat at their sanity, they become threatened by their own nightmares. In addition to The Lighthouse, Mr. Eggers' credits include the feature films The Witch and the short films Brothers, The Telltale Heart, and Hansel and Gretel. Following a recent screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Mr. Eggers spoke with director Ryan Johnson about filming The Lighthouse. Listen on for their spoiler-filled conversation. Have a hand for Robert and his incredible movie. What a singular achievement. Thanks. Um, yeah, there's, there's uh, nothing better than when you're watching a movie and you have the combined feeling of I can't believe this exists, and it feels like it was made just for me. Uh, I love this film so much, man. Um, Gee, thanks. Uh, but um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna be very selfish and take a little time and ask Robert some questions. I'm curious about that. I promise I'll, I'll open it up to you guys. I'm sure you have questions to ask him as well. Um, so I was also a very big fan of your first movie, The Witch. Um, Witch. Uh, yeah, please. Yeah. Um, weirdly, this feels almost like a kind of like a flip side of the coin of this feels like the masculine version of the witch in a weird way. But um, coming off of that, I'm curious um, what the path was to this. I'm sure as someone who made a stylish, well-made genre movie, I'm sure you, I'm sure the studio farm system probably was knocking at your door. What was your path from putting the witch out and having it be very well received to deciding you wanted to do this one and, and making this movie? Um, yeah, I mean, when I won the director award at Sundance, like 10 minutes later, somebody was contacting my agent about like franchise stuff and, 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 and that kind of scared me and made me really realize like, wow, this is a fickle, fickle, fickle business. They, no one's seen my movie, <laughs> you know, they haven't seen my movie. Uh, and, uh, and, and I, and that that was good. But I did. But yeah, the, I, you know, I didn't think a, a, a movie about a bunch of Puritans praying in, in the woods, which or no which, was going to find the audience that it did. I really, I really didn't. I, I, and that's not, not that I thought it was bad. I just, you know, come on. Um, and uh, but but it, of course, yeah, yeah, it opened doors, and, and that's and, and I was really eager to not mess up the opportunities that had been. Uh, given to me, and and I was develop, developing some larger things that I had written, uh, but they were still larger, and I and 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 I realized that I that, that navigating the studio system ain't easy. And I called my brother and I said, Max, remember that lighthouse movie we talked about, like uh, before the witch was financed? We should probably write that together because I think I, it would be wise to have something in my back pocket just in case some, one of these other things doesn't materialize. So, so basically, when, when we were trying to get the witch financed, uh, I had dinner with my brother, and he said, I'm working on a ghost story in a lighthouse. And I thought, 
wow, that's a great idea. I wish I had it. Um, and, uh, and a few months later, he said it wasn't really working out, so I asked him if I could take a crack at it. And he was working on uh, a modern version. Poe po died writing a story called The Lighthouse. And my brother was trying to finish that, but he was, it was contemporary and it had a ghost and it was whatever. But when he said ghost story in The Lighthouse, I pictured this black and white, crusty, dusty, musty atmosphere, the, the uh, boxy aspect ratio, uh, this world, and I wanted to find a story that could suit that atmosphere. And and I started to research, and uh, and I thought it needed a mermaid, and, and, and it should have a mystery in in the light, and and uh, and it should have this foghorn, which puts us with both of those elements. And wanting the lighthouse station to be dilapidated, that meant it was going to be in the 1890s, whatever. Uh, I, I also uh, wanted it to have flatulence from the beginning. Uh, and, and I wondered if that was something you came up with in the mix or if that was <laughs> written in. So it's good to know that flatulence was written in from the start. That brings me comfort. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, in the beginning, uh, before The Witch was made, it was just sort of about, you know, you know nothing good happens when two men are trapped in a giant phallus, right? And so uh, every, every, f every fluid that can be excreted from a biological male body is in this movie. Um, and but but post witch, I was I, look the witch has to take itself very seriously and be aside from the twins like utterly hu humorless to work. Uh, but I I felt that it, you know, there's something like film studenty about it a little bit to me. And I thought you know if I'm going to explore misery again, we're going to have to be able to laugh in the face of misery. I was, I'm so relieved to hear you say that. I was laughing a lot during the movie. It was, it's a very funny film. Good, yeah, and it's supposed to be. Yeah. I, and, and weirdly, like some of the audience, a lot of the audience members who it hasn't clicked for, ironically, are, are big fans of The Witch who are coming in expecting this like tonally austere, heavy movie, and then Defoe farts, and they're thinking... Oh, how do I what do how do I react to a serious fart? Uh, and, and and you know and but no it laugh it's okay you know that that was my intention so it's pretty amazing but, but yeah but but then I, for yeah. whatever reason this was the thing that that was that was greenlit on, on my slate the most who did you make it with who made, it was a twenty four from the start or did they pick it uh, it was um, it was New Regency and uh, R, R T features first and then New Regency. And uh, and then we had a, a meeting uh, where it was where the, can you shoot it in color? No. Can you shoot it in color digitally and then go black and white? No. Can you at least use color negative because we'd love to have a color version for certain foreign markets that won't? No. Okay, let's call a twenty-four. Uh, and do it together. <laughs> the one group insane enough to so but, so but I was they were ask... all they were all incredible incredibly. I'm not I'm, not, well, I'm just being a sick fan. Like I mean this thing but was the fact made that this exists. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So they it were all, all on know. board once they were on board. So I mean I was going to ask about the question because you did shoot on black and white negative. You didn't shoot and uh, uh, you know beyond even so there there's. Uh, that's such a distinct choice, also because a lot of times you, you shoot color even just so you'll have more control over the tonality of the black and white when you, when you finish it. Um, how much are shooting black, and, uh, shooting black and white stock? I mean, there's obviously a lot of questions that go into that. Like, what, How much of that was just you wanting to get back to that 
to that feel? How much of it was protecting yourself against even having the option of flipping the switch and going back to color or a color version being put out and, you know, in, in a foreign territory or something? You know, what were the factors in your head? It sounds like it came kind of fully formed to you. It's got to be black and white. It's got to be this, you know, silent film ratio. What were the factors that went in there? Yeah, I mean, uh, Jaron, if you have anything good to say about the cinematic language of my movies, it's very much a collaboration with me and, and Jaron Blaschke, the DP. I'm not Scorsese, like, saying this is the shot list, you know, like, we, like we, we, we do our shot list uh, alone, then we come together and make our greatest hits. Uh, he's usually elevating uh, my sequences, and I'm usually simplifying his. And, and, and so you each map it out separately, and then you come together and say, "I have yeah. this, I have this." Yeah, actually, the, this the, the, we there we did. There were some scenes that we just kind of did together on this one, just because of time and how the schedule worked out and whatever. But in the past, and in my in the which in my short films, that's how we've done it. Uh, I imagine in the next one we'll be in the same room from the beginning, just because of time. Uh, but. Uh, yeah, so um, so we've been fantasizing about this for for, for some for some time, and uh, something that we thought of, or I mean, particularly Jaron was uh, orthochromatic film stock would really be the way to go. Um, which you know, among other things, the, the main thing about orthochromatic film stock is that it's not sensitive to to, to red, uh, so red is rendered black. So um, the rosy skin tones on a Caucasian face like renders darker. So in the Eisenstein, that's why all those Russians look so tan. Uh, and then in Hollywood, they're wearing white pancake makeup to comp compensate for the orthochromatic stock. Now you can't- Does that still exist? No. I was gonna say. <laughs> no. And uh, we, we looked into it, but, but, and we couldn't have afforded it, uh, if it, you know, it, to be remade for us, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and so uh, we, we, we liked double X uh, negative. Uh, the blacks bottom out suddenly in a way that's very satisfying and just says uh, we, we remember it. You know, we remember it from watching old movies, and it has uh, the micro contrast is really extreme. Uh, and then Jaron worked with Schneider to develop a custom orthochromatic uh, filter uh, for, for us. And then additionally, we were using lenses uh, as early as 1905. We had an uncoated Pathé from 1905, and we had some Petzval lenses from the, from some 19th century designs that were newer. And uh, and but main, our main set of lenses were Baltars, not super Baltars, but Baltars before they were super um, from the from the 30s. Uh, and they soften some of the micro contrasts and create a, 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 an interesting glow. What speed is the film? Uh, I don't remember, okay. but it was slow, and uh, and you know, uh, and, and the and the filter only made it slower, yeah, um, and so uh, you obviously we weren't lighting it like an old movie. We were we were lighting it using uh, our our practical fixtures, but of course, if this were an old movie, you would see uh, the flame of the kerosene lamp, and then you would there would be a movie light lighting the scene. But we, what we did is we had like a 600 watt halogen bulb on a flicker dimmer right. in all those uh, in, in all those scenes, and it was I mean really coming from Alexa and fast film stock, there was it was so bright. You know yeah. people were wearing sunglasses when we were doing night interiors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but again, this is fussy and it's nerdy and it's fun to like talk about in this forum. But the you know why do this? You know one it says 
the movie's old. It takes place in a time when black and white photography existed. But, but two, uh, I mean, it, this is a bleak, austere story, and I feel like color is the best way, I mean, black and white is the best way to tell this story, yeah. and color is only going to mar, mar things. And, and again, with this orthochromatic filter, it, it knocks our blue skies, if we have them, which we rarely did, into something white and bleak and, uh, and stark and harsh. Um, and then the boxy aspect ratio, we, we were shooting in 119 one uh, early sound aspect ratio, uh, which, you know, th- there's a Pabst film, Kameradschaft, that takes place in a mine, which is probably the only other movie that makes sense to use this aspect ratio because he, Pabst was shooting vertical objects like the smokestacks and where we, ha- we have our lighthouse tower and, uh, and then the cramped uh, mine shafts and then the cramped interiors of, the, of this thing. And then, you know, because we're using spherical lenses, it's actually taller. So it's a great aspect ratio for these close-ups. You don't need flab on the side. You just have Robert Pattinson's cheekbones, Willem Dafoe's cheekbones, uh, in all their glory on these old lenses. Those two men, they feel like their faces were created by God to be in this movie. It feels so <laughs> perfect. So, so speaking of, uh, speaking of, well, I want to talk about the actors. First, though, real quick, I want to talk about um, talking about fluids and juices, the elements in this movie, and um, which also I want a, a double question, I guess, in terms of creating the rain, the wind, the elements, um, how much of that was did, did you guys have to bring on the day? How much of it was where you were? You were in Nova Scotia, I believe? Yeah, Jay? the very southern tip of Nova Scotia. So, and in addition to that, talk a little bit about the actual lighthouse set and whether you were shooting on a stage for the interiors or whether it was an interior exterior set. I understand you built the lighthouse as well, so, yeah. Yeah, so... So so what the hell, man? <laughs> in, in, in a perfect world, I would have wanted to have built every single building uh, for control, 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 control. Uh, but because this was kind of a heavy price tag for a black and white movie, it, I was I needed to try to find a, a lighthouse tower or that would work or, or, or a lighthouse station or something. Uh, and, and, and I could not find anything that had good road access, anything that suited the story we, we could not get to. So it, instead, we sought out to find the most inhospitable, punishing uh, rock in the Atlantic that we could find uh, that had great road access. Uh, and, and so, yeah, so we built everything, um, uh, including the 70-foot working lighthouse. Uh, they had to build that thing in the dead of winter. Three nor'easters blew over Cape Forshoe. The rainwater was freezing on the scaffolding. It had to be able to withstand these winds have actors up there safely, and the the Fresnel lens up there weighs one ton, so it was you know on our budget that was tricky. Um, so we we uh, we shot the the keeper's cottage. We had an interior set on location, so we could use that as as a cover set whenever the weather was nice. <laughs> uh, but the other interiors were were done. Um, in warehouses around Halifax. Um, and like the lighthouse, the interior of the lighthouse t- tower, for example, like we needed to have wild walls be- to fit the camera and the humans because it's an eight foot diameter sure. toilet paper roll, yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and then, yeah, so a, a lot of the most extreme weather is, is real. Um, uh, oftentimes, if it was 
gloomy, we could pull out the rain machines and get some some light rain. Obviously, when Robert Pattinson's pulling the boat out of the boathouse and there's like waves crashing, that's done in a controlled way so we don't lose Rob and Willem to a riptide. Uh, and obviously, the waves crashing over the house and the and smacking against the lighthouse tower was done with practical effects, but no CG. Um, and uh, yeah. Wow. Uh, and then last question, and then I'll open it up to you guys, in terms of working with those two actors, which is obviously the entire movie. Um, talk about uh, talk about those two guys. Talk about, I know I know you guys did rehearsal, kind of an abnormal amount of rehearsal. You did quite a bit of rehearsal for this, right? You had a few solid weeks. Uh, no, we, we had five days. Robert Pattinson oh. said it felt like three weeks. But, um, Aha. <laughs> but, but, but uh, basically, because... Me and Jaron are after a level of, of, of craft that we like uh, aren't able. We don't we don't have it. Like we're 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 ambitious and and we've only made a couple movies. We're really pr- planning, 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 planning ahead of time. So before Willem and Rob get there, like we've got the whole movie designed. And so the the rehearsal period is so the actors can learn their blocking in relation to the cameras that we get on set. It doesn't feel like artificial. They already have a sense of it. Uh, and also because there's so much dialogue in this movie, I did want a sense of pace. But I'm not looking for rehearsals at all. I mean, for, for performance. How did the all. actors react to that? Because that, that, be, that can be tricky. Um, they Look, Rob and Willem, they... Um, are looking to work with auteurs and want to be auteurs because they're looking to be challenged. So they know that they somewhat, or not somewhat, they have to kind of submit to, to, to what the director's doing in order for the film to have a chance. But then from there, I need to understand that they work differently and I have to adjust within what I'm doing to, to work with them. Um, you know, I think, I think to be super honest, like, uh, I, I mean, look, to, Ask Defoe, ask Rob. You know, you know what I mean. I, but 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 were there was was it tense sometimes? Abs- absolutely. Um, but they understood why it was this way. Uh, the but the other thing is though I'm not looking for performance. Defoe comes from theater and has boundless energy, so he brought performance into rehearsals. Um, and and I wasn't going to say no. And plus, I come from theater, so it was quite enjoyable. But Rob felt was really frustrated because he wants to keep things. Save it, save it, save it, save it, save it. But that was fine because it was a, it was a good. That's the characters, right. right? So it's Willem Dafoe's lighthouse. He feels comfortable. It's not Robert Pattinson's lighthouse, right. and and Robert Pattinson's character is shrouded in mystery and doesn't want to say. And da, 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 da. So you know, and I'm not doing any kind of sadistic Kubrickian manipulation to try to. Sure. No, no, no. Not. I I don't I don't want to make I don't I want I don't no, want to no, make I that know, worse. Know, uh, but but the camera sees. The truth, you know. Well, it's the biggest compliment I can imagine that that was the process, and the film feels so as uh, I don't know. It's obviously a very stylized, very tightly controlled movie, but it feels um, alive. You know, it feels very. It doesn't feel boxed in or hemmed in or a, a cute. I guess is the way it feels very kind of messy and alive. And if you got that with that process, that's 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 really extraordinary work. Well, thank you. And it, but it really is because of Robin Defoe and Defoe because of his theater training, like Defoe would tell you that you can plan and plan and plan and actually deliver what you planned, but it still needs to be spontaneous or it's flat. 
you know, and then Rob, by knowing the block, the the the, the camera uh, positions and the camera movement, is is seeing how far can he push it within the, that set of rules, you know. That's so fascinating. I'm sure there's a ton of questions. Let's go out here, sir, right there. I'm going to repeat the question. So the question was about folklore, and it was about what sources specifically you're drawing from, both for the witch and for this. Like, what are you putting in your head? Obviously, Melville is the thing. I mean, Moby Dick is the thing that I went to, but I'd be curious as well what, what other sources you're drawing from. Yeah, um, uh, thanks. I, I mean, yes, folklore, fairy tales, mythology, religion, sometimes the occult, that's what turns me on the most, even more than cinema. And I really, 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 really love cinema. Uh, but and that's always what I'm l looking at and 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 and, and reading. Um, you know, so for for this, I'm also for this movie. Obviously, I'm I'm, I'm reading about like lighthouse keepers and, and reading lighthouse manuals. My, you know, my brother and I uh, were fortunate that there's a lot of lighthouse enthusiasts. So there's lots of books on on lighthouses. Um, and there's and, and and unlike the witch, photography had been invented, so that was quite helpful as well. Um, but but of course we don't speak in in we were you know we're from southern New Hampshire, but we don't speak in rare coastal Maine dialects that don't exist anymore. Uh, so yeah, we're going to open up Melville. That makes sense. Uh, and 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 look at lighthouse keepers journals and whatever. Uh, but the most helpful source was a woman named Sarah Orne Jewett, who was writing in the good old state of Maine. Um, in this same period, and she was interviewing sea captains and sailors and farmers, and then writing her stories in in dialect. Uh, so, so studying her work was was re really in incredibly helpful. So, Sarah would hate this movie for sure. Uh, but, but thank you, Sarah, uh, for 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 doing the work that you did. Um, yeah. I was thinking okay. the exact same thing. The question is, was it real dirt going into William Defoe's mouth or cocoa powder, which I think in my head I said, please let that be cocoa powder. Um, it was dirt. <laughs> uh, Will, Willem, Willem, Willem knew what he signed up for. Um, and, and again, like Willem and Rob, they want to give 200% to everything, and they love a challenge. Um, Someone asked me, like, why didn't you shoot that on stage t earlier today? And I was... Did you not? <laughs> the no. Sh the shot down into the... The shot in oh. was, was also <laughs> on location. So he was in freezing cold water. Uh, and we were shoveling that in his face. The, I mean, Neil, Neil Davidson, the stunt coordinator, who was, like, carefully sifting through the dirt to make sure that there was no rocks and pebbles and, and stuff. But we did, we did two and a half takes uh the let's hear the story about the half take <laughs> well well the take, take one just didn't have enough dirt and uh take two it, the we we the cape foreshoe winds picked up and so the techno crane was wobbling and so what we cut like very quickly and then take three was quite incredible and because of scheduling you know with because we were always needed this bad weather uh, we were constantly tying the schedule in knots to like uh, to accommodate that. So out of a, a bad series of of coincidences and 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 duels with Mother Nature, we shot that on day two. Uh, but what what was fortunate about it is one, Willem got it over with. But two, the Nova Scotia. If you ever have the opportunity to make a movie in Nova Scotia, like if it ever makes sense, the crews are incredible, and I really 
recommend it wholeheartedly. Uh, but but they after seeing that like if there was anyone who was on the fence about you know really jumping in there uh, they, they, they you know that got them there. How many how many days was your shoot? About thirty five. Thirty five. Okay, that's fast. Yeah, the birds. What was the process of working with the? Get some good goal performance in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. It, they you know don't ever make a movie. With a goat as a as a major character, uh, <laughs> definitely don't do that. But if you want to do seagulls, they're great. Um, um, we we really didn't know how we. Were, I was gonna be secretive, but but Rob and Jaron have been talking about it, so I'll let it out there. We really didn't know what we were doing with the birds, and we we were we shot with the stand in a puppet stand in, which makes a couple of very very fleeting appearances in 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 the film. Uh, and then Chris Columbus, who's an EP, called up the owl trainer from Harry Potter, who had three seagulls in the UK that were classically trained British <laughs> actors, and uh, but but and they were just incredible, and uh, and so they but they were done after the fact on a on a green screen. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, fantastic sound design in the movie. And what's the process? How early did you start? Is it the same sound designer from The Witch? Just talk about the whole process. Um, it was not the same sound designer as The Witch. Damien Volpe uh, did my two short films that are not terrible. Um, uh, and, and I wanted him to do The Witch. Uh, Adam Stein did a brilliant job in The Witch, but uh, really brilliant. But, but, uh, but, but I couldn't work with Damien because of Canadian financing shenanigans. Um, but he was on this, and he's so uncompromising. And um, uh, the sound design starts with me and Louise Ford, the, the, the editor. Uh, we do a lot of this work to, cause, because the whole movie's atmosphere, so if you don't have that when you're working, like, you don't know what you, what you have. And Damien started early doing some, some stuff that was, that was particularly complicated. But yeah, I mean, I think originally I wanted to have a mono soundtrack, and and uh, and keep it. Of course you did. Of course I did. <laughs> but then when we were shooting on Cape Forshoe and really experiencing yeah. the sound and the hugeness of of uh, of the sea and and the unrelenting winds, uh, we I, I realized like the, no no some this is something else. But it was it was it was a it was it was a tough job. It was a long and I mean not really long, but it was a hard mix. Um, it, because you've got the storm for half the movie, yeah. you got to keep this foghorn going for most of the film, and, and understand that it could drive Robert Pattinson crazy without making the audience want to walk out of the theater. Yeah. And then there's all this dialect that is like incomprehensible that then has to go over that. Um, it was a challenge. You know, the, the the grade was quite easy because there's no latitude on double X. It's a little bit, it's either here or here. I mean, you know, and so we were able to uh, take days out of the grade and put that money into more mixed days because we really, really needed it. Gotcha. Uh, and in the end, you know, it was, a, it was the, we recorded the sound digitally, but we, we uh, they, they fed it through an Agra and we also... Uh, mixed through an analog box that would make certain frequencies distort as they would if if this were analog to try to somehow match what was on screen. And the score was also uh, something that I originally wanted to be very minimal 
uh, only horns and brass, only horns and pipes and things that you could blow into that echoed the sea and the foghorn and the flatulence. Um, and I did not want any strings because the witch was so string heavy. And in this like post Johnny Greenwood art house guy, we've heard it a lot, you know. Uh, and Cor- Mark Corvin, the composer, was like, I think you're probably going to want some strings. Uh, and, and so the minimalist brass turned into maximalist brass. And then I, he was right. I did need some string tones. There's a reason why those Penderecki-esque string rises are a thing to create tension because they work. Um, but then we also realized that we needed something that to kind of hint at the, the, the that looks kind of like an old movie. Yeah. So that we had these kind of Bernard Herrmann-esque low string motifs throughout um, to kind of go there. So that, that there, there was a learning curve. So effective, man. That moment where the sound all goes away, where you go literally to nothing when Defoe's it is so oh, cool. incredibly, yeah. Yeah, it has an amazing emotional effect. Are you going to do, um, I don't know if you've done, a film print of it? Are you going to... We, we haven't, but we, we will, and we need to. Yeah. I was going to say, that's kind of the other half of, of everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Imprint. How did you get your two uh, two actors? What was and who 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 hopped on first? Um, it's in very. I mean, I as I I think I said earlier, like I really didn't expect that the witch would find much of an audience. But two of the audience members that it found were were these two gentlemen, and and I got an email one day saying Defoe wanted to meet me, and I was like, you know, I mean, he's a huge hero of mine, and I was shocked and you know I'm nervously combing my beard you know <laughs> and uh, and when I sat down with him I was like oh like we're kind of on the same page that's insane and I, that sounds like I'm complimenting myself but I think you know growing up drinking from the fountain of, of Defoe like a lot of his performance is inspired how I think about performance you know and and Robert Pattinson's someone who I've always I, I even in I didn't watch the Twilight movies until like kind of recently and they are not good, uh, but but I but even in those days I, I I thought he was interesting and I never really wrote him off and 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 then as his career has moved forward he's become quite incredible. He's one of the most exciting young actors working today. Well, because he chooses to work with it's the directors he chooses to work with the projects he's been choosing uses his powers for good. So, yes, yeah. he's I mean he is wise with that and I approached him. Uh, for a, a role playing a sherry drinking, cigar smoking English gentleman uh, in a movie that didn't get made, and he was kind of like, "There's no challenge in that," and, and I'm only interested in, in things that are weird and challenging. But uh, cut to yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so when this became the movie that looked like it was going to happen, I mean, who the hell else could play these roles? Yeah. And 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 having this relationship, uh, I called up. Willem, and I said, Willem, you know, it's you and Rob. It's a two-hander. We're building a lighthouse. Bad weather. What do you think? He said, that's, that's good. Rob's, he's similarly said, like, Rob's mysterious. I, I like it. And uh, Rob said, okay, yeah, this is weird and challenging, and Defoe could scare me. So let, let's do it. So it was, simul- <laughs> it was, pretty, it was, it was simultaneous, really. Um, I, I, I really, like, I, I'm super fortunate. Uh, yeah. <laughs> On that vocalization, uh, yeah, man, the witch, the witch blew me, and I know a lot, of, a lot of us away. And this, with this movie, you've just 
become one of those young filmmakers who just, I cannot wait to see what you do next, as I'm sure a lot of us do. And, and guys, thank you for coming out. And please, thank you. everybody, tell your friends to go see this amazing, weird movie that's a miracle that it is up there on the screen. Let's give it up for Robert Eggers, please. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. If you'd like to hear more, you can find past episodes of The Director's Cut wherever you listen to podcasts. Stay tuned in the coming weeks for more great Q&As with directors Ron Howard and Taika Waititi. And be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow cinephiles find the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally. 